0: Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Lord, I just want to pray at the beginning of this time, the Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. Right now, where you are, I would just ask that in your heart, you just say to the Holy Spirit, Lord, I am ready to listen. And he will speak to you this morning. Whether you're a believer, whether you're an unbeliever, whether you are not sure what you are, God has something to say to you today. So Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would, as we come to the word, that you would speak to us clearly and that your words would bring life to us today. Amen. 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 We're continuing with our series in the letters of John. I hope that everyone's enjoying it. I hope you're reading the letters of John. Um, I like to read them in lots of different translations. It gives you a different flavor and feel, and I'd recommend that you do that if you haven't done that already. Um, I'd like to continue today, um, and we're going to look at a little verse today which is packed with a lot of meaning. Um, At the beginning of this series, uh, in the introduction, we talked about John as the apostle. He was an elderly apostle. He was a wise old man that had seen an awful lot in his life. And these letters represented um, something that he was saying towards the end of his life. These are the really important things I need to leave with you. And that's why these letters are so important um, in the canon of Scripture, why they're so important for us today. Because John was focusing on the essentials. And I believe in this day and age, we need to really focus on the essentials as God's people. Because there's a world that needs to hear the essentials of life. And we have those answers. Throughout these letters, one of the themes that we've we've pulled out right at the beginning was love. That John talks about the love of God. That when all's said and done, it boils down to God's love. That's the most important thing in life is God's love. And John tells us lots of different ways in which we are to love. One another, the world, God himself. But there's one occasion where John tells us not to love. Only one occasion. And I think that warrants uh, warrant some looking at. I think it's important. So I want to turn us to it now. So if you could turn with me to 1 John and chapter 2. And the title for this morning, for those taking notes, is Love Not the World. Some of the more modern translations say, Do not love the world. Uh, KJV says, love not the world. I like that because the emphasis is on the not. Love not the world. And I'm going to read from verse 15. And the Apostle John says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And there's only one reason, I think, why John would tell us not to love the world, and that's because it's easily done. I don't mean it's easily done as in, um, you know, it's easy to eat too much chocolate. I find it easy to eat too much chocolate. You know, we will joke about it, won't we, between each other. Oh, you know, I ate too much of this or too much of that. Those things aren't great for us, but it's not the end of the world. That's not what John is saying. He's saying it is easy to love the world, and if you love the world, it's catastrophic for you. That's what he's saying. So I think we need to drill down today and find out what John's really talking about, because this is a big term, the world. It can mean lots of things, as we'll see. Um... And what I'm going to do is talk about the world in two parts. Part one will be today, and then about three weeks' time, I'm going to come back with part two. The first part of it is looking at the world and how we should relate to the world as believers. And the second part is going to be looking at how we live in the world and how we should be in the world. And that will be from 1 John 4, 17, which is from one of the most powerful statements in the whole of Scripture. We'll look at that next time about who we are in the world, but today we're going to focus on the world and why we shouldn't love it, why God, is, why God and John are saying do not love the world. So what I want to do is to start with the question, what does John mean when he says do not love the world? What does John mean by the world? Now if you look through uh, John's first letter, you will find that he uses the, the term the world 18 times. So he uses it a lot. And here's just a flavor of some of the things that he says about the world. Chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Jesus is a sacrifice for the sins of the world. 2.15 says, we must not love the world. 2.17 says, the world is passing away. 3.1 says, the world doesn't know God or us. Three, uh, chapter 3, verse 13 says, the world hates us. Chapter 4, verse 3 says, false prophets will go out into the world Chapter 4 and verse 3 says the spirit of Antichrist is in the world. 4 and verse 5 says false prophets will speak from the world and the world listens to them. Chapter 4 and verse 14 says Jesus was sent to be the saviour of the world. Chapter 4 and 17 says we are the same as Jesus in the world. And chapter 5 verses 4 to 5 says we've overcome the world by our new birth in faith. And lastly, in chapter 5 and verse 19, John says that the world lies in the power of the evil one. So when you put all those things together, it paints a picture for the world as something that is at odds with God, something that is opposing God or opposing his purposes. But then, of course, if we think back to John's gospel. He said in chapter 3 and verse 16, we'll all know it very well, is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So, are we to love the world or are we not to love the world? We need to know what John is talking about. The world, the, the word that John uses is a Greek word which is cosmos, where we've got the, the modern word cosmos for the, the whole of the cosmos. This is cosmos with a K, it's a Greek word and it means the world. Um, it's the opposite of chaos, another Greek word. So cosmos means an ordered system, a system where there is an order in place. Chaos is the opposite of that. It's disorder, where there's no order in place at all. So with cosmos, it's a system where order prevails. In Acts 17:24, it refers to the whole universe. In John 13:1, it, it's talking about our planet that we live on, the cosmos, the world. In John 12 and 31, he uses it to refer to a world system, the way the world works that we live in. And in Romans 3.19, Paul uses it to refer to all of humankind and talks about that as the world. So the word cosmos and the world can be a very neutral term and we only get meaning in the context in which it's set. In other words, the the shades of meaning that can be attached to this word, depending on the intention of the writer and depending on the context in which that word is used. For John, he's using it in a particular way. And I think for the New Testament writers, one of the things that maybe they picked up on, if you go back to the Old Testament, there is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. I don't know if you know that. It's called the Septuagint. It was around in Jesus' time because much of the uh, area around there was Greek-speaking. So there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And this word cosmos is found in there, but it's only found to refer to jewellery and anything that was a sort of an outward adornment. I suspect that the New Testament writers picked up on that word and wanted to use it to refer to things that were maybe superficial and outward only when talking about the world. And we're going to dig a bit deeper into that. If you turn with me to Ephesians 2, there's an occasion where Paul uses this word. Word, And I think it's really illuminating for us. I think it'll really help us understand what he and the other um, apostles, what, why they used it, really. Right at the beginning of chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. And it says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the course of this world. And the world there is cosmos. But the word for course is another word, which is aeon, A-I-O-N. Someone told me recently, when we use Greek words, we don't always spell them. So some people are trying to write down their notes, thinking, I haven't got a clue how to spell that. So I'm spelling it for you now in response to requests. A-I-O-N. aeon, And cosmos really refers to the whole of human history. Whereas aeon. Refers to a particular period in human history, sometimes called an epoch. It can be of any length, but it's a definable period in human history where certain thoughts and trends were prevalent. So if you're a historian or an anthropologist, you will think of things in aeons. You will think of things in these ages of mankind as you look through the whole of human history. And what Paul is saying is, don't Um, what we were taken out of was following the course of this world in other words the particular era that we lived in that is following a whole human history we were pulled out of that think of it like being on a set of train tracks the whole of human history is set on a particular course and it started on that course way back in Genesis each period of that course maybe runs different but the destination is still the same And what Paul was saying to the Ephesians were, you were once on that track, but you got saved, you became believers, and God took you off that track and set you on another track. So it helps us understand cosmos and what the apostles meant by it. It's a term to describe the present order of mankind, alienated from God and enslaved to sin. They're the two principal aspects of it. We've been alienated from God, and as a result, we've been um, enslaved to sin. And that's the track that mankind is on. So when Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world, he's using the word aeon. So in other words, he's saying, do not be conformed to the particular age in which you are born. Not the whole of human history, but the age in which you find yourself. Don't be conformed to that. Be different because you're not on the same track as the rest of mankind the Germans have a particular word for it which I really like which is zeitgeist Has anyone heard of that word zeitgeist zeit means time and geist means ghost or spirit so it's time spirit and we don't have an equivalent for it but we would say it's the spirit of the age there is a spirit of the age in every period in human history And as believers, we need to know what the spirit of the age is in which we live because we need to reach out to the world around us and we need the, the world around us to know that we're different from that. We're not on the same track. So I would define this as the defining spirit or mood of a particular period of history which is shown by the ideas and beliefs of the time. Now, the apostles found themselves in a particular period in history We find ourselves in another period of history. But we have the same God, the same word. And you know what? The same things run through all periods of human history. Because at their root, they're all the same. All of human history is rooted in the same thing. Which is what we're going to talk about today. Which is the world. It may manifest itself differently and specifically in each age. But the root is still the same. And Paul, when he writes the first letter to the Corinthians in Chapter 2 and verse 12, he says that we've not received the spirit of the world. And he uses that word cosmos again. You've not received the spirit of the world, that spirit with a small s. But he says, But you have received the spirit of God. He uses the same word pneuma, but he's talking about the spirit of God. We've not received the spirit of this age, we've received the spirit of God, and that's how we're different. So what I want to do is look at these three elements of the world. And so let's go back to 1 John 2 and the verses that we read at the beginning. Because John gave us these. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and then he tells us what's in the world. He says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. In other words, is sourced from this thing he's calling the world. So these are three essential elements of the world. If someone's going to tell you not to love something, they really do need to tell you what that thing is. They need to define it for you. And that's what John's doing for us. He's saying, look, these are the three hallmarks. The New Living Translation has a go at expanding these. It's a looser translation, the NLT. So it's really helpful sometimes in giving us an expanded translation. It says this, For the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. So it's giving us a bit more detail But if these three elements are present in the world and the world is defined by them, as John sees it, then what we need to do is to go back and trace their beginning. Now, if you want to trace anything in the Word to its beginnings, where do you think you go? It's not a trick question, I promise. Back to the beginning. We go back to Genesis. So let's turn to Genesis, and we're going to start in Genesis 2. Genesis 2 and 3, we see... um, the, the creation account continuing and then in chapter 3 we see what happens when Adam and Eve sin and sin comes into the world so we're right back at the beginning here in terms of how it all started and this really is what John has in mind in, in, uh, don't turn to it but in, in chapter 2 and verse 17 Adam was warned not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it would lead to death and we find in chapter 3 that's exactly what they did do, and just as God said, it led to death. In chapter 3, we've got these, um, this account of Satan coming to the woman. Let's read from verse 1 just to set some context. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that God, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate some. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So, in Genesis, we have these three elements that were right there at the beginning. When Eve looked at the tree, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... God had said to them, You are not to touch that tree or to eat of it. She looked at it and she saw that it was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and it was to be desired to make one wise. Now, there's two elements in here which, when you look at it, I can't see what's wrong with them. The first one is it was good for food. There's nothing wrong with food. It's good for you. And the second is that it was a delight to the eyes. There's nothing wrong in something that looks good. But there are three things here. If we go back to chapter 2, and if you just look with me at Genesis 2 and verse 9, this is where God is talking to Adam. And he says... Well, in the narrative it says, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So every tree was pleasant to the sight and good for food, not just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what we have to understand is that it is not their physicality it's not the physicality of this fruit that was the problem. There's nothing wrong in things that are physical. And if, for those of you that were here when we started John's Letters, remember we talked at to the influences at the time. We talked about the Gnostics and how they had this theory, this belief that was prevalent that everything that was physical was corrupted and ultimately evil, and everything that was spiritual or otherworldly was pure, and they divided things into two. Well, that's not what the Word of God says. Physicality is not the problem here. There's another problem. The answer is not even found in linguistics, looking at the words in particular. The word that's used for desirable is chamad, which is a Hebrew word, but it can mean um, pleasant. So we read it in chapter 2. We've also read it in chapter 3 about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It can mean desirable. In Exodus 20, it also means something that's coveted. Thou shalt not covet. And hamad is used then as well. So the answer is not in the word. The answer is in what these three elements are and the combination of these three elements together. And I would say the problem is the third element. That the tree was to be desired to make one wise. It's the third element that's the problem. It distinguishes the tree's... Sorry, it distinguishes the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from all the other trees in the garden. That was the one that when she looked at it, she thought, and he thought, that's the thing that will make us wise. Now what happens here? God has given them a garden. He's filled it with beautiful things, things that are good to eat and good to look at. And he said, you can have all of this except that one so he gave them things he gave them gifts that were good and he withheld something from them that was not good for them and they made a decision when they looked at that because when Eve looked at that and she said well that will make me wise and she remembered what the serpent had said is God doesn't want you to eat it because it will make you like him she thought well let's be like God And Adam thought, yeah, let's be like God. And up to that point, God had told them what to do, where to go. He told them where they could go and where they couldn't, what they could touch, what they couldn't, what they could eat, what they couldn't. And this was the moment when they said, but if we eat that fruit, we can make that decision ourselves. We can decide for ourselves what's good, what's bad, what's good for us to eat, what's not good for us to eat. We will have the same ability as God to distinguish what's good for us and that's where the world is rooted in that one desire and in that one decision that's been repeated again and again and again that decision meant to eat that fruit was rejecting God's instruction to them and God's intention toward them you see that's the thing that Satan questioned didn't he God has told you not to do this because he doesn't want you to be like this, like him. So Satan has questioned God's intention in giving them the instruction. And their decision was to throw off the instruction because they doubted the intention. And when you, in, when you doubt the intention of someone toward you, you no longer trust them. If I meet you and I'm not sure of your intentions to me, I certainly don't trust you, do I? And Satan had come in and he'd sowed seeds of doubt in thinking. And those things together led to that decision, to turn away. What I want to do is is, um, a little illustration, which I think will help us see what was going on. I've got a little prop today. Now, I have to say, Richard Jones is normally the prop man. But with Annie Pemberton's help... I've got a prop today. And what I've got is presents. Very nicely wrapped, Annie. Thank you very much. Hey? (laughs) Thank you, Mandy. I've got presents. So these are gifts. What we have to understand is that what was going on in the garden is that Adam and Eve had received gifts. So I'm going to need some volunteers for this. I don't know who's up for that. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, buddy. Next time. Keith, can I use you? Is that all right? You're an easy target. Um, I'm going to use someone else in a minute, but for now, I'd, I'd like you to be God for me. Can you do that? right. Okay, great. <laughs> so, Adam and Eve are in the garden. What I want you to do is I want you to take gifts off that pile and give them to me. Can you do that for me? Thank you. Thank you. And God gave to Adam and Eve wonderful gifts. The last one. Ah, oh, thank you. He didn't hold any gift back. See that decision? I'm not going to hold it back from you. He didn't hold anything back that was good for them. What he held back was things that were not good for them. So they've got all these gifts. And Adam and Eve can see God. And they can see the gifts he's given them. And they can see God. And these gifts were to show them things about God. Each gift revealed a different aspect to God's wonderful nature. Starting with the garden in which they'd been placed. The food he'd given them. The wonderful fruit. All of these things. The bodies they had. How amazing is the human body? It's amazing, isn't it? God gave it to us. It's a gift. It's a wonderful gift. But what happened was is that when they made that decision they did this they turned their back Now they've still got God's gifts But what's the difference now I can't see God anymore All I can see is the gifts actually And the gifts are still good But I'm just looking at the gifts and I've forgot all about him And actually my life has become about these gifts So what was good has now become something that I draw from. This is, I don't have God anymore. I've been banished from the garden. And that was an act of mercy so that they didn't eat of the tree of life and stay like that forever. But now Adam and Eve set off and they've got these gifts. But they can't see God anymore. And this was the track. These were the train tracks that the whole of human history was set on and are still on today so God had to do something to change that I'm going to give you the gifts back now God is that right? there you go now when you and I were born we were born on this track so what I'd like you to do now God is I'd like you to reach over my shoulder and give me the gifts one at a time can you do that for me? fantastic that's a great gift Maybe this is my family. Maybe this is my job, my career. Maybe this is my health. I have really good health. I've enjoyed that. Maybe this is my car. Big car. Fantastic. Love these gifts. Loving it. Fantastic. I can't see God in any of this. I'm not looking at him. I'm on this track. So those two first things, things that are good for food and good to look at, you see how God is still giving them, but we just can't see him. I don't know whether we have anyone here today who is an unbeliever, or you're just not sure. But either way, you're not looking at Jesus. You're not looking at God. Now, I need a few more people now. So I'm going to pick on, who wants to be picked on? Alice. Is that okay? Now, Alice is Jesus. Jesus that all right you live up to that one Jesus is in you so it's fine so if you could come towards me now what Jesus did was to turn me around so can you turn me around please I can try. you can try okay I'll be compliant don't worry this is what Jesus did I can't turn around on my own thank you Jesus your work is done you can, you can ascend you can ascend back to the father now I won't make you stand by Keith don't worry Now, can you see what's happening? And for those that may be listening on the podcast, I appreciate this may not be that engaging, but the presence I had in my hand, I was faced the opposite way to God, and now Jesus has turned me around. I can see you again, Keith. I can see your lovely face. And suddenly, I've still got these gifts, but I can see the giver. And now something even more amazing happens. Can I borrow Ben for a second? I was thinking about this ahead of time. Who can I have for the Holy Spirit. It just had to be him. (laughs) Mr. Excitable. So when Jesus left and went back to the Father, guess who he sent? The Holy Spirit. (laughs) This guy. Now, if I could get Ben to jump inside my wood, but that would just look all kinds of weird. So you just have to imagine that Ben is inside me, and he's talking to me. And what he's going to do, he's picking each of these things up. There you go, Ben. And he's telling me what that reveals of God. You don't have to do that, but just pretend we're having a conversation. And the Holy Spirit is telling me every day when I get up, he's picking up different things and saying, I want to show you something of God's very character and nature from all the good gifts that he's put in your life. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Not only has uh, Jesus turned us around and, and... brought us back into alignment so that we can see the father and we don't have our back turned to him but he gave us the holy spirit to then show us what the gifts are about and that scripture that we referred to in 1 corinthians 2 and verse 12 it says you've not received the spirit of this world but the spirit of god and you know what the next thing paul says is to show us the things that god has given us and that's what the spirit does he shows us what these gifts are for Now, one of the problems that we all face, sometimes as believers, is that we are looking like this and we're listening like this, and then sometimes we do a bit of that, and we do a bit of this. And guess what's happened? I've stopped listening to him and I've stopped looking at him. I've stopped listening to the Spirit, and I've started looking down at the stuff again. Now, I'm not in sin. I've been redeemed from that. I'm still on the right track. I'm still able to look at him. But it's my choice every day. Am I going to look at these things or am I going to look at this wonderful, wonderful God who has changed my life? And that is our daily life as believers. Every day you get up, you have a choice to make. There will be things that are readily available to you. Just to reach away. Maybe it's the phone on your bedside table. Grab the phone. Straight on the phone. There's nothing wrong with the phone. But when that's what we turn to at the beginning of a day, I'm not looking at him, am I? I'm just looking down at the screen. You see? All these things are good things. They're legitimate things. Sometimes they're noble things. Some people live their whole lives For their family. They're constantly laying down their life for their family. But if their families come before him, before God, it's all a waste. Because the purpose of life is this. The purpose of life is this. For me to enjoy the gifts, but to see the giver. And more than the gifts, to enjoy the giver. So that he is the source of my life. You know, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, David spoke from uh, Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And he said, look, you're drawing this water, but you'll be thirsty, you'll be back, but I've got some water that will never leave you thirsty. Thanks, guys, I really appreciate that. Thank you. So John is telling us something about our relationship with the world he's told us what the world is it's these three combined elements that when mankind chose to look at the things God had given and not him they turn their back on him they chose to start living from things that will as we read in 1 John 2 and 17 will pass away and that's why these things are not from the father because he wants us to live first and foremost from his eternal life. You remember, if you were here for the introduction, we talked about these three elements life, light, and love. And we said life is the Zoe life of God. Z O E. Zoe. It's the Greek word for the uncreated eternal life of God. And there's other types of life, there's bios which is the physical life, the life of the body, and the suke, psuche, P-S-U-C-H-E. Someone asked me about that one last time. That is the life of the mind and the, the seat of the emotions and the will, the psychological life. You can try and live from bios and suke, the two together, but they will always run out. And that is what Jesus was saying at the well to the woman. These things will run out, but what I have for you is zoe life. That will never run out. We were cut off from Zoe life, but when Jesus came along and turned us back around, Zoe life started to flow into our lives once again. What we have to be really, really mindful of, and this is what John is saying in these verses, is when he says, Do not love the world, he's saying, Don't live from bios and suke. Live from the life of God and enjoy those things, but enjoy them through the life of God because then you will always appreciate and understand the reasons why I gave you the gifts and every day they will show you something new about who I am and my wonderful eternal nature of which there's no limit in terms of our um, ability to understand. If you're not a believer... The really sad thing is is that you're facing away from God and you don't know that life. You've experienced the gifts of life. You can be thankful for those gifts of life. But to whom are you thankful? Because it's not the giver because you don't know him. He's just an unknown God even if you believe there is a God. But otherwise, you just be grateful to other things and that's all mankind has done throughout its history is to lift up other things instead of looking to God. And the reason why is because we couldn't see God because he was fe- we were faced in the opposite direction. We were going away from him. But Jesus coming and turning us around has meant now we can see him and now we can see the true purpose of these wonderful things he's giving us to. Without him we can appreciate the gifts of creation and in creation But those things are there to signpost us to the creator, to the wonderful God. And our job as believers in this world is to tell people of how we have had our lives turned around and we have started to see the giver of the gifts. And to give testimony to people of how good God is. So that they can start to want to see him for themselves. Because when they hear from your heart the overflow of a man or a woman who knows they are a child of God, that they are loved with a love that is richer than anything in this world, that every gift is an expression of that love, people will listen to your hearts and they will say, Show me the giver. Who is this giver? I didn't know he was there. And all we need to do is to say, I can introduce you to him. I can show you. And it can become the easiest thing in the world. All we need to do is to open our hearts. Witnessing to unbelievers should be a really simple thing. Just be ourselves. And just express what God is doing. But what we need to do, it starts with this. Every day that we are living from that wellspring. That we are looking at the giver and not the gift. That we are letting the Holy Spirit speak to us and reveal the nature of God to us. You know, Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know him. I don't want to know him up here. I want to know him in here. I want to know him as a man knows his friend. And when you have a friend, if you've had a friend for a long time, you'll probably find that there are always new things that you discover about your friend. I do. When I talk to my friends, we can chat, and something will come, and I think, I never knew that about you. I I never knew you went through that. And there's always something new. Imagine how much more there is to discover of an eternal God who had no beginning and will have no end, and whose nature is eternal. What a wonderful process. And I just want to encourage you to have a hunger for that, that process of revelation in your life. We cannot love the gifts and the giver. We have to love the giver. If the gifts become the source of our love, they'll become the source of our life, and they cannot be. Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and he said, you've got a choice. You can choose death, or you can choose life. Choose life, and that's the Holy Spirit's encouragement to all of us today to choose life. If there's anyone here that doesn't know him or you're not sure whether you do, I would love to speak to you afterwards. I'd love to introduce you to the author of life, to the giver of the gifts, so that you can start seeing him and everything he's already done in your life. Father, I just want to thank you that you've given us so many wonderful things. Lord, my prayer this morning is for all of us, that you would lead us into a greater dependency upon you. That every day, Holy Spirit, you would show us new things about Jesus, about yourself, about the Father. And Lord, every day, let our first port of call be you. Every day, Spirit of God, when we arise, we, I just pray that you would speak into our hearts straight away of the good things of God. And Lord, I want to pray on our behalf that Lord, we will respond to that voice and we will come before you and we'll say, Lord, show us, we pray. Fill me afresh with this wonderful eternal life of God that I may be a wellspring to those around me That I cannot help but spill this life out to others. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.